Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And what a day. What a day. This is the day that the Supreme Court gave states the green light to ban abortion, Mm -hmm. overturning Roe, which has been around for 50 years, and uh, an incredible day to celebrate pro-life. And Rosie, um, what what are your immediate thoughts? My immediate thought is to, you know... Much to what Scott is talking about. You mean our guest, Scott Hubbard, who's oh, going to be that's who's right. gonna be on the program in just a minute or two? Oh, my goodness. You I gave that, Scott? it away, Scott. <laughs> Amazing yeah, Hubbard, who's going to be on. talking about it. The great, the great Scott Hubbard. Yes, the great yeah, okay, Scott. Yes. Okay, yeah. Um, my, my first thought when I read it this morning, and I was, for whatever reason, able to see it right when the um, decision came out, was to stop hmm. and recognize that we are in a moment of history. Yeah. And that there, this moment of history wouldn't have taken place hadn't it been for millions of hours of work from, you know, the early mid-70s through today on people who have been, by God's grace and by God's courage and by God's power, moving this to this point yeah. with their funds, with their time, with their prayers. And so I stopped and I just went, Lord, Thank you isn't enough, mm. but thank you for all those people. Mm-hmm. Well said, Rosie. And Scott Hubbard is our guest today, and we have prepared material with Scott, but right now we can't quite get to it yet because we're so excited about what happened today. And yeah. Scott is the editor of Desiring God and pastor at All People's Church and a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and his wife and two kids live in here in the Twin Cities. Scott, mm. what are your thoughts on today? <laughs> it's a It's a day to praise God. Indeed. Uh, for something that a lot of people, like Rosie said, have labored for, but I'm sure at times have wondered if this moment would ever come to pass. Yeah. Even, you know, recently, it's not like this has been a long lead up over decades of like people seeing that this, yeah, we're headed, we're headed this way, but no, even recently to, to look at the landscape and to see relatively little hope, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago for this kind of thing to happen and now it has. It feels it feels amazing and a stroke of God's grace um, upon this country. And so it's more than we deserve and something to praise God for. Well, we're going to be covering it uh, coming up in the next half hour. I've got a couple of special guests joining us. But for now, I want to get back to Scott and this really amazing article that he wrote at Desiring God. You can always go to DesiringGod.org to check it out. But we're going to talk today about one of the most precious gifts that we have, and that is our human attention. Yeah. This is a great article, Scott. I've, I loved it. Well, good. It's, yeah. it's a gift that is precious in part because it is so endangered today. And that's, that's the title of the article, um, Endangered Attention. And so it's an increasingly rare gift, even though in, in one sense, you could say we have more capacity or more capability to give our attention to people than we ever have before. Like, uh, you know, you can get on the phone, you can get on Zoom, you can mm-hmm. get on FaceTime and give your attention to a ton more people than you could before. And yet those very things, along with other stuff that we can talk about, make it also increasingly rare. Mm-hmm. 
I love in the article you said that that God can give His full attention ten trillion places at once. But we must choose one among the trillions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. In one sense, in attention, God is inviting us to become like him because he is an attentive God. That's one of the glories about God, as opposed to, in Scripture, the idols of other nations, the false gods, is that the living God is an attentive God. And yet, on the other hand, it's it's an area where we image God, where we are like him, and yet where we are so unlike him because his attention is unlimited. When <laughs> Throughout all time, throughout all space, he can keep his attention on every square inch of the planet. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we can keep our attention on one square inch <laughs> of the planet. Yeah. If, if yeah, that. If that. Yeah, That's if right. That. That's right. Yeah. So you talk about our, our human attention one, being one of the most precious gifts we have to give. And um, there's probably no other time where human attention is at a greater risk of being endangered. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. We want to know and be known, don't we? <clears throat> we do want to know and be known. That's what God made us for. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, to know God and to be known by God. And then on the human level to know other people and to be known by other people, which requires a tremendous amount of attention sustained over a long period of time. You can't know and be known with uh, by half listening to somebody or yeah. half being listened to. You can't know or be known if you or the person that you're talking to is doing the uh-huh on, on autopilot while they're looking at their phone yeah. or while you're looking at your phone. And that is the great danger today. Um, there's a there's a quote that I include here in the article from the, the British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones of the last century, so before the age of the internet, and he just talked about how we are all fighting for our lives at the present time, fighting to master and possess our own lives because there are so many things that distract us. And that I'm laughing just because the distraction that he had in mind was the morning newspaper. <laughs> that was his distraction. Yeah, that was his yeah. distraction. You know, you, you, you're trying to master and possess your own life, and there comes the morning newspaper <laughs> there to distract you. And with the kind of distractions that we have, not only on our front doorsteps, but in our front pockets, it is amazing to think about what he would say today. Imagine what we have in our hand in terms of our smartphone. You've got a, a possible television, a newspaper, yep. everything. Telephone, radio, every mailbox. Yep. It's all there. It is all there. Mm-hmm. All the media that you used to have to go to a separate room for or go to a different place uh, in the city for or go outside your door for, all of it now is in a handheld device. Yeah. And it has been crafted, designed. Obviously, these things are, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, well known to listeners by now, but these are crafted and designed to harness and to harvest human attention. Mm -hmm. Scott Hubbard is my guest. His uh, article is called Endangered Attention, How to Guard a Precious Gift. It's at DesiringGod.org. And every time Scott shows up, I always feel like not only do I get inspired, but I I hear some thoughts that are connecting in my brain in ways that I haven't thought of before. So he's got that ability. And I love uh, what he does uh, at DesiringGod.org. I do recommend you going over there and checking it out. But as we're talking about attention, um, we have to, we can't follow Jesus without giving him our attention. That's right. Can't That's even right. pretend to do that. Can no. We? Yeah. <laughs> Just as you can't 
get to know another person deeply without giving them your attention, so too, in an even greater regard, we cannot follow Jesus without giving him our attention. There's commands in this respect, and Hebrews 2 talks about how we must pay much closer attention to the word that we have heard from Jesus if we're not going to drift away from him. Right. So the contrast to paying attention to Jesus is drifting away from mm-hmm. Jesus. Can I read Mark uh, 4.24? Please. Yeah. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Pay attention. That's right. That's And he's. Uh, it's in the context of the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower there which is in part a parable about attention. Yeah. The, the seed goes down and bears fruit or not, depending on what kind of attention people give to the word. Mm-hmm. And I love this sentence, uh, Scott, from your article. And it's it's a beautiful sentence. And if I wasn't against tattoos, I might tattoo it on my arm because <laughs> it's that good. Because you say, and we cannot love like Jesus without offering others our unhurried, undistracted, calm, attentive regard. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom packed into that sentence. Yeah, it is the wisdom of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, is it not? He is a person who is, in one sense, very busy. He, there's always something for him to go do, always something that people are asking of him. Mm-hmm. And yet he is the most attentive person in the universe. So it begs the question, Scott Hubbard, um, with the limited amount of attention span that some of us have, how do we steward this limited, precious, endangered attention? Yeah, there's all sorts of places we could go. I go to four different places in the article. Well, let's go there now. Okay, (laughs) great. Well, the first one I offer is more practical, and it's to simplify your inputs. Last fall, I read the 2010 book from Nicholas Carr called The Shallows, which really was a landmark book, and I got to it 11 years late, I guess. But he came out with a updated edition 10 years later in 2020, and it really was a shaping book. The subtitle is What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And just the, it really is uh, a lot of neuroscience made simple, (laughs) neuroscientific studies, and that's good for a non-scientist like me. But the kinds of findings that he included in that book about what happens when you avail yourself of all the various informational media that we have at our fingertips as opposed to trying to learn and consume information slowly and thoughtfully, what ends up happening is truly amazing. What We, we become more superficial in our thinking. We become addicted over time to distraction. We become unable to follow a complex train of thought over the long haul. It's harder to read books. Yeah. And all of that is coming from, much of it is coming from the fact that we cannot meaningfully process the amount of information that we take in each day. That is, if we are a normal person living in this age of the internet, we can't. Just the way our bodies are made, the way God made our minds, it's not possible to meaningfully process information, that much information. Mm Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there was a time, Scott, where I would be more inclined to sit down with a book and just get buried in it. Yeah. And I would almost feel like I was doing a deep scuba dive. And now when I read, I'm like, I'm on a jet ski. Yeah, yeah. I'm just flying right. across the surface and I might <laughs> read a paragraph of an article or, you know, three pages of a book and then I'm looking at my phone or yeah. doing something that's distracting. Yeah, that's right. It would be good 
for us all probably to reflect on when was the last time you could sit down for 30 minutes to an hour with a book and you got lost in it yeah and didn't look up didn't look at your phone didn't get distracted by something else yeah it's probably becoming more rare yeah it is scott hubbard's my guest and his article is endangered attention how to guard a precious gift you can find that over at desiringgod.org short break we'll be right back with scott having a great day. I know I am. And so is Rosie and so is Scott Hubbard, my guest. He's here in studio. We're talking about endangered attention, how to guard a precious gift. We were just chatting a little bit before the break about neuroscience, which uh, <laughs> neither of us understand very well, but um, we're understanding that humans are far more tree-like than computer-like. I mean, information becomes knowledge and wisdom only as fast as water becomes fruit on the branch. This is Scott Hubbard's uh, article I'm reading from. Water cannot travel into roots and up trunks and through limbs in a moment. It takes time and often requires the painfully slow, slow process of meditation. Psalm 1, 3. Yeah. So that's an image from Psalm 1 of what we are like. We are far more organic, far more like a tree than yeah. we are digital, than we are like a computer. Right. And there is a process uh, inherent in the kind of fruit bearing that we see in Psalm 1. Meditation, meditation, that really may get to the nub of uh, why our attention, one of the reasons, one of the great reasons why our attention is endangered today is because meditation is endangered today. So much in our more fast-paced, fast-reading kind of world uh, militates against meditation, which requires space and slowness and an ability to linger over the words of yeah. God. We're much more analog than digital, aren't we? Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. All right. We're uh, trying to look for ways to uh, better steward our attention. And right before the break, Scott uh, started uh, talking about um, how to do that. So let's talk about prior prioritizing near over far. Yes. So imagine, if you would, that you are Adam or Eve in the Garden of Eden, and the various opportunities that you have, the options that are in front of you for where to give your attention. In one sense, it's broad. There's a whole world, a whole garden for you to give your attention to. But in another sense, it's incredibly limited compared to what we have today. They had to give themselves to those things that they could see or hear or touch or smell. The, the things within their immediate environment, the things that were near, to people who could talk back to them, to objects that they could perceive with their senses. And today, we are just as limited as Adam and Eve. We have just as many hours in the day. We have just as much capacity for giving our attention away. And yet we literally have billions more objects vying for it. So we don't have to anymore give our attention to the things within arm's reach. We can give our attention to the other side of the globe if we want. Mm-hmm. We can know what's going on over there. We can uh, not only know what's going on over there, but talk to someone who's over there. <laughs> and so the decisions that we have to make about where to give your attention are incredibly more complex. And yet there's a scriptural 
pattern or precedent that we see in numerous places throughout the Bible, which in times past would have just been a fact of reality, which is that our proximity heightens our responsibility. So the closer that we are to other people, other needs, other objects, the more responsibility in general we have for them. The closer another person or concern is, the more responsible we are to give our attention to it. And so that can act as a kind of attention triage, if Mm, you will. I like that. That there is, uh, when we think about all the options in front of us, at the top of that triage list are the people and things that are nearest at hand. And you talk about that that might take all the attention you can give. Yes, that's right. Is that little right. circle right there? The, the circles that are nearest to us, our mm-hmm. own family and friends, our own church, including our, our own small group, our own employees, or the people who work alongside of us. If we're a normal, busy person, then it likely will take all of our attention simply to, to do right by those people, much, you know, much less trying to give our attention in far-flung mm-hmm. places. You know, Scott, I bet there's several people thinking right now, I wish my spouse was hearing this message. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, I mean, it is a challenge for all of us. When I, you know, I, I speak about this in emphatic ways, but it's because I'm speaking to myself. Um, and as, as a spouse, as, as a husband and father, as an employee and friend, I find regularly the need to recalibrate in this regard. Of, yeah. Oh, I'm giving my attention away uh, to to people who are down the priority list. Yeah, and every and you taught me something months ago when you were on the show and we were talking in the green room after the show, and I made some mention about I'd love to have you on more often, sort of thing. And you said yes, that would be great. And then I think you snuck in this little line where you said, but every time I say yes to one thing, I'm saying no to something else. That's right. And that sort of resonated with me like, yeah, there's only so much time in your day. And I always think, well, whenever I invite Scott on the show, he's going to want to come because we have so much fun together. Uh, (laughs) But the truth is, no, when you say yes to being here, you're saying no to something else. That's right. Every yes is at the same time a no. Exactly. And so when we say yes to a high school friend's Instagram post, or to a 24-hour news cycle, or to the highlights from the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup. Yeah. It is necessarily a saying no to something closer at hand. It may not be wrong to look at those things, but it's just wise to recognize what the yeah. no is going to. Well, don't, don't speak negatively about the Stanley Cup. I am not. I'm from Colorado. Okay, all right. Come on, Evelyn. Wow. wow, you're excited then. <laughs> all right, let's move on to some other uh, strategy. Uh, don't just see but notice. What does that mean? That means that if we think of as a in a metaphorical way, our attention like a muscle. Yeah. One of the ways that we grow our attention is by flexing it, by straining it in the everyday moments of life. It it can atrophy if in those everyday moments, as we're going about our days, not only in the crucial critical moments, but just throughout our days, if we allow it to roam and, and if we're lazy with our attention, then our attention will atrophy. Mm-hmm. But if we, by God's grace, labor to cultivate a kind of Psalm 104 attention, then we may find that our attention is slowly being strengthened. And I mentioned Psalm 104 because it is the preeminent psalm in the scriptures of um, of creation, of noticing the wonders that God has made from the smallest to the largest mm-hmm. and of seeing things and noticing things that perhaps we catch 
uh, out of the peripheral, but we don't actually stop to notice and wonder over. And so it's a question of what do you do, say, if the person that you're meeting for lunch with is five or ten minutes late and you're sitting there at the table? Or what do you do if you're sitting, standing in line at the grocery store? Probably for almost all of us, there's a reflex there to pull out the phone in our pocket, mm-hmm. to check email, to do a text, to, to check the news. And what if instead we embodied, prayed for strength and grace to embody the kind of attention that we see in Psalm 104? What are the wonders that are ready to be noticed around us? Wow. They're all, they're all over. And Jesus is our, our great model in this regard. Uh, he had the kind of Psalm 104 attention that we see. We see all over the Gospels that other people saw things, but Jesus really noticed them. He was able to uh, take the time to slow down and notice wonders and things that other people just kind of glazed over. So when other people saw the birds or the lilies, he saw God the Father's care for his people. Mm. We just have a little bit of time left, Scott. Let's talk about live in the attention of God. So I talk here just about how almost all the time when Scripture talks about paying attention, it has God or God's words in view. So pay attention to all that I have said to you, God says in Exodus, or to my words in Jeremiah, or the prophetic word, or simply pay attention to me, Isaiah 51. And so there's a, there's a Godwardness to our attention. But one of the things that is also striking to me, looking at the ways the scripture uses attention, is just that any time we give our attention to God, we find that he has already given, he has already given his attention to us. So when we turn to him in prayer, his ear is already open. Wow. When we turn to his word, he's already been speaking. When we do stop to notice something, some wonder in his world, he has already placed it there for our enjoyment and for our worship. And it is a, a shaping thing to realize that at all times and in every way, we live in the attention of God. So there's the story of Genesis in Genesis of Hagar, and she, she meets God who, na- who gives her the name El Roy, the God who sees and that is what all of us in one way or another need to, we need to have that kind of moment of waking up to the God who sees us and knowing that, uh, the, <laughs> that at every time that's the product of um, disciplined attention is that we get to live more clearly, more joyously in the attention of God. Yeah. Scott, always great to have you on the show. Thank you again. Scott Hubbard has been my guest. You can learn more about him at DesiringGod.org. The article we talked about today was Endangered Attention, How to Guard a Precious Gift. I highly recommend you reading it. Head over to DesiringGod.org. After a break, we're going to talk to Kim Katola on the news that happened today at the Supreme Court. And we'll be right back. Jump in your car. Hey. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon 
Thanks for joining me today. I called uh, Kim Katola this morning and said, hey, you, I would love for you to come on the show. And she said, sure, I can do that, which is great. Kim is an award-winning writer and broadcaster, and she's a chaplain and pro-life advocate. You can hear her on Faith Talk 1360 in Phoenix. Uh, listen to Cradle My Heart Radio. You can also find that the podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, Kim, amazing day. Hey, Bill, thank you for having me on. It sure is. I I agree. Yeah. So with the end of Roe, maybe it would be helpful to debunk some of the top uh, pieces of misinformation. I Yeah, I would love to do that. And one of the things that I also want to say is I'm seeing right away, and I was seeing this after the opinion was leaked, that, oh, well, these justices who are in the majority said in their Senate hearings they wouldn't overturn it, they wouldn't overrule it, it was settled law, we should impeach them. And it's flatly false. Don't worry about that if you're pro-life and you're celebrating today. These are false statements. It's fake news. It's propaganda. The comments are taken out of context, and the ruling was absolutely sound. And it was very, Bill, it was very intellectually um, gratifying you know, we've lost the ability to do critical thinking in our country. We just don't have the patience for it. And, and students aren't being taught how to do it at a high school or even college level anymore. And so there's very, very sound reasoning in this opinion with, uh, written by Justice Alito. And for the first thing, the first misconception is that it bans abortion. And women are now, you know, not able to get an abortion anywhere in the United States. It doesn't do that. Uh, Justice Alito said this needs to go back to the states where the people and their representatives can vote on it. Roe v. Wade was never voted upon, Bill. Therefore, it did never, it never, it did not represent ever the will of the American people. And so giving states, a, uh, you know, the, the right to vote on it individually is what the Dobbs decision now does. And I think that's really important to know because most people who are very upset about this ruling don't seem to understand that. Um, one of the second, I think, big misconceptions is that uh, this is just deeply unpopular. Wow, do you hear this as a talking point among mm-hmm. especially fe- female liberal politicians? As if, you know, most people want something, so it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter if it's an injustice. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Nothing matters other than the majority wants it. But that even that isn't true. Most people are shocked to learn that the United States is, on, is one of only seven nations that allows abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And that puts us in the company of China, North Korea. Right. You know, a very, very extremely un- uh, non-humanitarian states mm-hmm. uh, in the, on the world stage. And so most people actually want abortion abolished after 12 weeks, uh, certainly not up to birth. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, there's the, the, it really matters how you ask the question about how people feel about abortion. And it really matters if, if people know what abortion actually is, whether it's framed as women's rights, or it's framed as, you know, the the unjust killing of an innocent, unborn human. Mm-hmm. Um, criminalizing women. No. Most pro-life organizations are not in favor of criminalizing women. They're in favor of shutting down abortion practices. 
um, oh, there's a lot of scaremongering out there, Bill, about um, ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage, and these things are going to be criminalized. Uh, most states that already have trigger bans uh, in place that would make abortion, uh, that would outlaw abortion in their state, specifically exempt ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage. These these situations are not elective abortion, which is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. Mm-hmm. Ectopic pregnancy is a treatment against a life-threatening condition for women. So that's just scaremongering, and women do not need to worry about it. Um, imposing religion. This is not based on religion. This is based on human rights. The fact is, biologically, life begins at conception, and that really is non-controversial. There's no mystery about it, and right. there's no disputing it. In in uh, excuse me, scientific terms, embryology, fetology, and so then the question is, you know, when does life begin to have value? And the answer has to be, well, if it's fully human, all if he or she is fully human, I won't say it's, if this new life is fully human, then he or she has equal human rights, or there's no such thing as equal rights for all human beings. So it has nothing to do with religion. It's not people imposing their religious view. Uh, I don't know, there may be some others you want to discuss, but those are the big ones that I hear again and again from misinformed and people who are not necessarily misinformed, but people who are, are again, are maybe trying to do some scaremongering on it. Well, I think the scaremongering is at, is at full uh, full gear right now. I, I just heard the announcement that, that the constitutional right has been ripped away from women, and I think, no, it wasn't a constitutional right, was it? No, you know, that's the basis of Justice Alito's opinion is that if the and someone tried to be clever and say, well, just yesterday, the same Supreme Court said the states can't rule on concealed carry. Well, guess what? Gun rights are specified in the Constitution. Therefore, you know, the states don't get to overrule the, the U.S. Constitution. And Alito said abortion isn't mentioned in the Constitution. Therefore, it goes to the states. It's a basic civics class you know, that people seem to have missed. And, you know, around this bill is this idea of a constitutional right that makes women equal, that empowers them, that allows them to pursue the life. You know, And it, for me, this is um, so anti, it's misogynist, mm-hmm. really, at its heart, because it's saying that women can't possibly be mothers and manage a life outside the home at the same time. And that's ridiculous. All you need to do is look at, you know, female stars like Beyonce and, uh, (laughs) you know, Venus Williams. And let me take a look at, excuse me, Serena, you take a look at accomplished mothers who are still performing at the highest world levels and tell me that you can't be a mother or that being a mother is going to somehow limit your economic opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's really anti-woman to hold that view. Mm-hmm. Kim Katola is my guest. We're talking about the decision today from the Supreme Court. One of the myths that I've heard is that this decision is clearly against the interest of uh, economically vulnerable uh, people, especially vulnerable people of color. You know, the most pro-life people in the U.S. are in the lowest income brackets. And I find that very interesting, that it's really an ideological struggle that we're engaged in. And the ideology is on the part of educated liberal elites. 
who want to, you know, have abortion to secure the perfect family that they feel that they are, are you know, endowed to create. And so that uh, and these are the same people, by the way, who had no trouble locking down schools because their children were in private schools. Their children were able to pursue private daycare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they didn't have to worry about having someone to care for their children while they had to work outside the home as essential workers. You know, so these these abortion proponents, Bill, are on the same page as those who felt that there was no damage to the poorest and the most vulnerable children who had essentially now the Atlantic reports today, no schooling when lockdown was going on. Mm-hmm. And again, that's an, it's an ideological battle. And I, I don't want to you know, mix apples and oranges, but I, you will find the same voices defending the same policies. And uh, again, it's, it's a poverty, as Mother Teresa said, to believe that a child must die so that the adult can have the life that they want. And it's, a, and it's a deeply offensive idea that poor people can't figure out how to have children and carry on with their lives. Mm-hmm. Kim, a message came in on the text line. I think people of faith need to be humble in their celebration of the overturning of the abortion law. We will point people to Jesus if we respect those who feel their rights have been taken away and are grieving. I absolutely agree with that, Bill. There was this really strange moment when I heard the news today. You know, this dystopian idea. I mean, one of the ways of a pro-life apologetic is, you know, imagine saying the same things about toddlers. Well, the mother's poor, so therefore you must give her the right to abort this baby. You would never say she's poor. You must allow her to kill her toddler. Right. And so I, I thought about it. What if we had made murdering adults illegal 50 years ago? And for 50 years, we had said, you know, you can't stop that. You can't legislate that morality, all the things. And now one day it became, again, illegal. We would look around and we would have to admit to ourselves the killing is going to continue because it's a matter of the human heart. Right. And this is the way I feel about abortion. You know, no law can touch the human heart that is determined to act against its own best interests and against God. You know, I mean, abortion's a matter of the heart. And one of the things that I love about the pro-life movement, Bill, is that while the abortion industrial complex feeds upon fear and profits from fear, uh, the pro-life movement has been engaged for the last 50 years in providing hope and in pointing people to the providence of God and to the hands and feet of God's workers in the pro-life movement to help women to carry forward a pregnancy, whether it means parenting or placing that child for adoption, you know, doing things in a way that does model the humility that says God is in charge and we can trust him. Let us show you how. Mm -hmm. Kim, there seems like there's been a big surge of younger uh, pro-life people. Um, I think we just lost her. Yeah. I Kim. can hear you. Oh, terrific. There you are. I, Kim, I was saying, I think there's a, a bunch of younger pro-life people that are kind of this next generation of, of people supporting pro-life. And uh, I've heard that some of their passion is because they saw their sibling on the um, um, their, their mother's um, ultrasound. Mm. Uh, yes. I mean, 
the grief of siblings who learn that the, a sibling or a half-sibling has been aborted is very real, and it's a very existential grief. And, I mean, I think if they look around and realize half their generation is gone, you know, they, that has to impact you. We didn't, you and I didn't grow up with any such right. thought or knowledge, right? I mean, right. and it, it knocks the parents right off the pedestal. You know, who do you, how do you trust your parents knowing that they could have exercised that right over your very life? Yeah. So, yes, I think that all these things have coalesced to bring about a very pro-life generation, yeah. which I'm very encouraged to see. Me too. Kim, thanks for touching base with us today. I know we'll have a lot more to talk about, and maybe we'll get something rescheduled next week or the week after. That would be great to continue this discussion. Oh, thanks for the chance, Bill. You bet. Kim Cattola has been my guest. She is an award-winning writer and broadcaster. You can hear her at Cradle My Heart Radio on Faith Talk 1360 in Phoenix. You probably can do that online. And uh, you can also catch her podcast on iTunes and Spotify. I'll take a short break, and we'll be back with my friend Bob. Special thanks to Kim Cotola for joining me on short notice, and also my friend Bob is joining me on short notice. And what what would it be like to be director of a pro life pregnancy center after the news that's come down today from the Supreme Court? Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Now I'm trying to be a little bit uh, secretive. I don't know how much information you want out on the radio as to uh, what the name of your uh, pro life center is and where you're located. I just didn't know what kind of uh, uh, violence is going on and what kind of attacks there might be against a, a place like yours? We really don't know what to expect. We are kind of out there. And, yeah, I'm not at all shy about saying where we're at. Terrific. Um, Options Pregnancy Center. We're down in Fairmont, Minnesota, uh, just quite close to the Iowa line. Um, we don't know what to expect tonight or the next few days. Uh, we've heard a few, you know, rumors, but nothing specific. Um uh, we're not really fearful. Um, you know, we want to be overly, we want to be protective of our center and, and the uh, building that uh, has been provided for us. But um, uh, we're not really living in fear. And in fact, we're kind of excited to see where this all goes. Mm-hmm. Bob, I know you've been serving the community for many, many years um, in Fairmont, Minnesota. And the the work that's been done on behalf of people fighting for life and and what is it like when a woman comes a young woman comes in probably most of them are scared uh nervous about what's going on in their body and maybe you can walk us through a little bit of what happens when a woman walks in oh sure a lot of times they're coming in there i was thinking about that this morning all of this political stuff and everything going on um some young lady that woke up this morning thinking she was pregnant and came in for a pregnancy test none of this would really matter to her her life is just pretty much centered on her her little crisis for the day um they're scared they appreciate just having somebody there to talk to and uh listen to them and just um a calming voice and a calming atmosphere um and we we just try to give them the support, the information they need. We can't 
we're not like some of the protesters are saying we're going to force anybody to have a baby. We can't do that, and we never would do that. But we want to encourage them, give them support they need so they can make that decision of of what they're going to do about their pregnancy and know that they're going to have support during their pregnancy and after. Mm-hmm. Because clearly when the woman makes a decision to go and have an abortion, it's it's not the end of the trauma associated with what's going on in her life. I mean, that's in many occasions the very beginning of the trauma. Yeah, for for to have an abortion is oftentimes a lot of um, a lot of things that can happen after everything from from uh, problems having further pregnancies to um, emotional and mental health issues that can happen. And I know some will say, "Oh no, I had an abortion; everything was fine." Maybe that's true, um, but there are possibilities of that. There can also be some trauma with having a pregnancy and having a baby. I mean, they may not be financially or physically or emotionally ready to have a baby, but um, there can be support to help with some of those things, everything from adoption to to just help being a better parent. Mm-hmm. Bob, when we hear criticism of the, the people, the pro-lifers who say, well, yeah, you don't want the baby uh, you to, to not... You, pro-lifers will say that we... We don't want to take care of the baby after it's, after oh, it's born. That's what yeah. the pro-choicers will say. Uh, they'll say we want the you know we, nobody wants to care for these babies. Yeah, we we hear that. And, uh, I know. You know <laughs> um, if you you know look into a lot of pregnancy centers, they offer so many things beyond. They're like even here in Fairmont, we're a small community, but we have uh, jobs programs to help new moms get back into the workforce. Um, this past year, we've even opened a transitional housing program so they can have a place to stay and learn some skills that they would need to move on, uh, mostly just trying to keep um, make a little bit of impact in the homelessness situation around here. Um, we do all kinds of life skills and parenting programs. Uh, we, we don't, we don't uh, drop them at the you know, delivery, delivery room and, you know, we stay involved. And we have clients that come in. Uh, years later, um, still talking about parenting helps and everything. Um, you know, we, we want to be able to make sure the ladies succeed. And actually, we develop relationships with them, so we stay involved. Sometimes we get invited to their, their child's graduation from high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I just I love stories like that. It sounds very much, what is it called, Bob, faith in action? Uh, yeah, that could be. You know, we want to we want to come come along with them, grow with them. And yeah, I guess that's kind of where it happens. Yeah, how do you see the church coming along? Uh, young women who are find themselves pregnant. How how are we doing as a church? Um, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> some some churches are doing fantastic, um, and maybe every so often we hear some horror stories about young women uh, having some difficulties in their church, and I I don't know if that's um, just some smaller churches in some rural areas that uh, are a little bit uh, just unaccepting of the fact that some of these girls are making choices that aren't, you know, necessarily positive. Um, but generally, the churches are very supportive of the work we do, and and uh, um, very supportive of of you know we've had gals from here that. Uh, get into some of the local churches and start attending some of the local churches and they're embraced there at those churches and, and welcome to those churches. I've heard that there 
some of the the uh, abortion Planned Parenthood centers that perform abortions that some of them have closed, and 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 the reason that I heard was that so many abortions are now happening via pill through the mail. Uh, that's my understanding. Was somewhere is about fifty. I think it's like fifty-one percent now. Are I think that number is correct. Maybe I was, might be off a little bit, but are chemical abortions with the pill. And I know they've made that available to be able to um, do uh, telemedicine, so you don't actually have to go to a clinic. You can contact somebody online and whatever and get the pill. That's going to be a little bit of a an issue, and I, I've always wondered just how that's going to work out. My understanding is there can be more more medical issues with that. I don't know exactly the numbers, but uh, there can be some issues because sometimes the um, gals may not know exactly how far they are in their pregnancy when they take the pill and mm-hmm. all kinds of other things that are going on. Um, I don't know. Those kind of make me a little nervous. Uh, um, I, I can see the access, you know, pedophiles would be real easy for them to get a hold of pills for uh, dealing with issues they may have created. Um, just all kinds of problems with the pills. But. Yeah, because pregnant, young pregnant women or pregnant women, period, who are uh, find themselves pregnant and the maybe the 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 boyfriend or the uh the person who got them pregnant don't want them pregnant and they increase their risk of violence. Uh yeah, that does happen and um that's where it's nice if they, you know, can connect with a pregnancy center or such that at least we can offer them some support and uh and they get the chance to talk about hey this increased violence and we have resources. We can help them find shelter or whatever if they have to separate from this boyfriend. Um, we had one just recently that uh, ended out at our transitional housing program uh, because of a violent boyfriend or violent violent partner. Um, yeah, it's just that's where pregnancy centers can can offer that support and those resources and say, hey, you don't have to put up with violence. We can get you someplace else. Mm-hmm. And Bob, when women come into the Options Pregnancy Center in Fairmont, where you are the director, do they get a chance to uh, hear about God's love for them, or are are you trying to just meet their needs in the moment and look for an opportunity to share faith, or how is that component used in these these pregnancy centers? Yes, faith is a major part of what we do, but um, we, I, you know, we basically want to meet their needs first, mm-hmm. because that's, if they're in crisis mode, they don't want to hear anything else. They just need their needs met. Um, and we try to more show our faith and make a big issue of telling them all this stuff. But I, our, our, ideal, our ideal client is one that has been here, and we've met her needs, and she finally says, what's so different about you guys? Mm-hmm. And uh, then we have an open door. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if you are helping them with uh, needs, getting their needs met, I know you've got even a little thrift store where people can shop and and get supplies, and then you've got this transitional housing where uh, you're you need a place to be here. You can come be here. Uh, you are you are imitating Christ by opening up this beautiful door of friendship, and it's so invitational, Bob, that when uh, people feel loved and they feel like their needs are met, they look at it and they go, "Why are you doing this?" Right. And that's that's just kind of just this neat opening to explain to them. Then you talk about Christ and Christ's love, and you know it's it, it, and they're they're willing to accept it because they've they've also 
felt that love and that acceptance from us, and uh, it's just kind of neat to see yeah. the whole experience. Well, you and your wife, Jan, are doing amazing work uh, there, and thank you for pouring your life into this, and I, I pray, and I know you are probably praying as well for safety for the the, the the center and that there would not be violence or attacks or spray paint or anything else that happens. <laughs> yeah, we there's a lot of people praying for us this evening, and uh, um, we're we're pretty confident that uh, God is going to keep us safe. Um, I'm I'm more concerned about some of the centers in urban areas, sure. cities, and uh, I hope they have a, a, a good weekend and. Um, and maybe, you know, sometimes some of this activity uh, wakes up some of the people that have been a little bit asleep on this uh, whole pro-life issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not the pro-life people that are causing violence. <laughs> and so maybe that's going to make an impact on some people. And yeah. say, hey, you know, there's, there's uh, some dark people here in this this situation and yeah. maybe, maybe some good things will happen. Yeah, Bob, thank you for taking time to be with me today. I appreciate it and I will be praying for the Options Pregnancy Center in Fairmont. Okay, thanks a lot, Bill. All right. Thank you. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Boyd Seavers, a little Old Testament study. I'm looking forward to it. Take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.